0: you want to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and take that out, whether that's in uh, digital form or paper paper form, and, and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is... Uh, in the, in the church world, what we call Pentecost Sunday, where that comes from, um, it is 50 days after, so penta, uh, meaning 50. It was a festival, it was a Hebrew festival, a Jewish festival, and if you go back into the Old Testament, a lot of things that God does in the New Testament church, which is the day that we're living in, correlates to seasons and the festivals and times in the Old Testament, right? And so uh, Good Friday and what we now celebrate as as Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, that occurred during Passover, which was a, a Jewish festival. And then 50 days after that was the feast of Pentecost and what happened in Pentecost, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. See, these festivals were very meaningful to the nation of Israel, but there was, there was more there than just what is on the surface. And, you know, that's the way God works. There's more there than, there's more than meets the eye. And there is there's a deeper level and there's there's more. And so in the New Testament, God will begin to reveal by his Holy Spirit. Now, what, that's what God, that's what happens when you read the scripture. So God will begin to reveal to you the fullness of the meaning of that scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost Sunday is the birthday. It's what we call the birthday for the church. Y'all didn't know that it was your birthday. Birthday. Come on, in the comments, just just put a little party emoji or a birthday cake. Tell somebody happy birthday and y'all go ahead and eat some cake today. Pastor said it's okay to have two pieces of cake because it's your birthday, all right? Those calories don't count in the name of Jesus. The so sugar doesn't even bother you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, this is the story of the birthday of the church. On that day, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one one place. Aren't you ready for that to happen again? Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone Everyone circle that word. Everyone highlight that word. Everyone, you are a candidate for the infilling and the baptism of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's not like the super spiritual questions or, or those with an enlightened understanding. Everyone, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard a loud noise, everyone came running in. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. There's people from all over Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and yet we all hear these people speaking in our languages about the wonderful things God has done. See, how something starts, how something is birth tells you a lot about whatever that thing is, and that's true of the birthing, the starting of a church, or the business or an organization or a nation. If you go back to its roots, how a seed is planted, those first roots that go down into the soil tell a lot about how that tree or how that bush, whatever it is, is going to continue to grow. And so we can tell a lot about how the church is supposed to operate by going back to its birth, to going back to its beginning. And can I tell you this, that the church was birthed in the supernatural fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we use words, I've used words like the Spirit-empowered church. Like there's a church that's not Spirit-empowered. There's no such thing as a non-Spirit-empowered church. The church by its very nature is Spirit-empowered. So we are birthed in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in a culture, watch this, this is so important. I don't believe it's by accident that this is Pentecost Sunday in an atmosphere that is the bringing together of language and culture and color and race that the birth of the church was a spirit-empowered movement where there was Arabs and Asians and Jews and Italians and Africans and Greeks. I wanna preach a little bit today in the climate of where we're at as a society and as a nation, I wanna preach this. I wanna preach all the colors, all the colors. Come on, somebody type that in the comment section. Say, thank God for all the colors. I want to give you some, some thoughts um, out of this on a response to racism. Let me give a couple of disclaimers. I think uh, myself, like like everybody else out there, I'm learning. I don't know everything, I don't pretend to know everything. I like, like the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, we all, church, we all see through a glass dimly. We don't all understand everything. We don't all have all of the answers. And so we need to approach this subject as with everything in scripture saying, you know, I know. I know what I know. I know that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, rose on the third day. I know that I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. So we know what we know. But there's some things that we still need to grow in and learn. and And so I'm trying. Um, I'm trying to seek the counsel of godly men and wisdom in my life. Of godly men and wisdom from different colors, and and even as preparing this message, I, I texted a couple of my good friends, and I said, "Would you speak into this? Would you help me shape this? How do you see this as somebody with a different color skin tone than I do?" And, and then I want to say this that. Um, I believe that that although these words that I'm gonna share with you are inspired from the Holy Spirit, from his word, that this sermon is not the end. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. And so this is the beginning of the conversation. Uh, not not that the conversation hasn't already been taking place, but let me just say, this isn't the end. This is the continuing. That would be a better way to say it. A continuing of the conversation, a continuation. A continuing of the healing, a continuing of the action that is already being taken place. So here's a couple of thoughts. The first is just this, that this is an opportunity for us to mourn with those who mourn. Let me try to explain this. And and I'm just asking that in my inability to sometimes use words to express clarity, that if I stumble here that you'll, you'll hear my heart. And can I confess to you that this was something that the Holy Spirit has taught me? The Bible teaches us to mourn with those who mourn. So uh, let's just, let's just peel back all the layers and let's, let's talk about the situation that is happening when an African American brother, when their life is taken unjustly. I think sometimes those of us with a lighter skin tone shade can can have thoughts or maybe use this as an opportunity when that injustice is brought to the forefront. Instead of just fully stepping into and embracing that moment and mourning with those who mourn, we want to bring other injustices into the conversation and just say, yeah, we, this is this is important. But what about this? And what about this? And here's here's just. Can I submit to you an example of what that would be like? So if you are at in the south, we call it a uh, receiving of friends. So if somebody has a loved one that that passes away, so I've got some of the band and worship team here. If Chris has a has a loved one that has passed away, and I go to the receiving of friends. Um, Pre-COVID days, I'm I'm hugging Chris and and I'm putting a hand on his shoulder and we're just I'm expressing Chris I'm so sorry for your loss. Here's here's what here's what would be um, non-empathetic and and socially awkward in that moment. I don't say Hey, Chris, uh, Pedro. Pedro lost somebody, I don't start talking about Pedro's loss when when I'm in Chris's presence dealing dealing with that loss. Now watch this. This in no way minimizes or negates the loss that Pedro's experiencing. It's just that the timing, the empathy, that when you're with that person, the empathy needs to be expressed in that moment. So watch this. So watch this, Caucasian people, abortion is so important. The loss of other life is so important. But can I lovingly say this? Now's not the time. This is the time to say to our African-American brothers and sisters, I see you. I hear you, and we are mourning this together. It does not, please hear me. It does not negate the importance for us to stand up for the rights of the unborn. It does not, it in no way diminishes. When I say, Chris, I'm sorry for your loss, it in no way diminishes my heart for Pedro's loss. They are does this make sense? Do you see how the enemy is trying to use this to divide of saying that one life is greater or worth more than the other? That's not the case. And that's not the conversation. It's just in these moments, we need to fully step into. And I want to say that to our congregation, because praise God, we are a church. We are a multiracial, multicolored church. And I give God praise for that and glory for that. And I wouldn't want to attend any other kind of church. I wouldn't want to pastor any other kind of church. But we say to our brothers and sisters of color today that we do see you, that we are hurting with you. And would you please then extend us the grace that sometimes just as, as when somebody experiences the loss of life and family, sometimes it's awkward, right? We don't know how to respond. We don't know what to say. So would you extend And can we both extend each other grace in this season to try to feel and use words the best that we can during this time? But it's important, it is important that we mourn with all of those who mourn. The second part, I mentioned it, but let me go a little bit deeper, is to live in and give lots of grace, Boy, we need, we need grace, don't we? No, I believe, I believe the, I really do. I absolutely do. Not just words, not a hype thing. I believe that the atmosphere shifted last night in our time of worship. I believe that when Pastor Brandy prayed over, that, over, over our online airwaves, that the atmosphere is going to shift. I believe that with all, but how many of you noticed that the atmosphere has been a little bit tense the atmosphere has been a little bit volatile. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I got a new grill. I shared this at Deeper, but I think it's appropriate to share again. I got a new grill, and we had a gas line that was run from a a large propane tank uh, underground, and it came up, and it was run to a gas grill. It was an old line, still worked, but we weren't using it at the time, but I was getting a new grill, and so I didn't want the that part just coming out of the wall in the patio area. So the the pipe, that copper tubing, was already pretty, pretty bent. And as I was adjusting it and moving it, what was already frayed and, and bent uh, became broken. And, and there was a small hole in that. So almost immediately I smelled gas. And how many of you know that in that moment, it was not the time for me to attempt to throw on some hamburgers and grill some burgers. That was not the, 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 the time for me to light and say, hey kids, come on out, let's have a barbecue. Now listen, was there anything wrong with me wanting to grill some burgers? Absolutely not. I just wanted my heart was right, my heart would have been right, my intentions would have been pure, but in that moment, if the atmosphere is volatile, if you light something, it's going to go kaboom. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? In the last two weeks, in the last nine weeks, how many of you have been misunderstood? Can you say yes? How many of you, you had good intentions, but somebody didn't interpret it that way? Can you say yes? Can I tell you it's because? the atmosphere is a little volatile right now, and the atmosphere is charged, and here's the two things that shift atmospheres. Worship and prayer shift the atmosphere because this is a spiritual problem, and we have to know, we have to know, we preached about this last week, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, and that's not, can I just say, that's not a metaphor. Those are real, and so we need to put on our Ephesians 6 armor and church, we need to rise up and we need to go to battle, and we need to, we need to praise with warfare. We need to praise with power. We need to, we need to not just do cute prayers, we need to go to battle, and that shifts the atmosphere. But what keeps the atmosphere? Watch this. So prayer and worship shift the atmosphere. Grace keeps the atmosphere. Grace keeps the atmosphere. We walk in grace. We live in grace. I've been trying to, um, I've been trying to read more. Uh, we, we've been calling it in our in our team, uh, John and Zach, and I've been talking about this a little bit. Uh, reading dead guys, uh, and we, I've been saying it like this: that don't confuse recency with relevancy. We can learn a lot by. Listening to voices of history that have walked through similar situations, and so, uh, like right now, I'm reading um, I'm reading a book by William Wilberforce, who was who was probably the premier person in England who led the abolitionist movement in the 1700s and the 1800s. But uh, I want to back up his mentor, one of his, the key mentors and voices of influence in his life was a was a uh, man by the name of John Newton. So John Newton grew up in a, in a fairly uh, well-to-do family, and he joined the British Navy. Uh, he was on a ship at that time and was not getting along with the, with, the, and s- with the captain and with the crew, and so he actually tried to abandon that ship. He got caught. He was severely punished, stripped from the waist up. Um, eight dozen lashes across his back, he was humiliated, he was angry. he actually contemplated taking the captain 's life, trying to murder the captain and then take his own life, but fortunately he didn't um, He worked through that after he got out of the navy then he joined he joined a slave trading business. And so he was he was deeply involved in the slave trading business. Ironically, on one of those ships, he wasn't getting along with that crew. And that crew was sailing for Africa. The captain of that ship sold John Newton as a slave to one of the, the royals in that nation of Africa where they landed. So after a little while, John Newton's father, because of his influence, sent a rescue ship after him. They got John Newton on that ship and on his return voyage home to England, John Newton has a radical conversion to Jesus Christ a radical conversion to Jesus Christ when he gets back he becomes an anglican priest and then later in his life he begins championing writing on the abolitionist movement and his work and his life and he begins to then mentor william wilberforce who but what i want you to what i want you to see from this are a couple of things first of all it's got to start in the heart. This is a. It begins in the heart. So John Newton uh, didn't get changed. All of these other things are important. They're important, but they're secondary. He didn't. He didn't start his change uh, through business. He didn't start his change through the religious system. He didn't start his change through the politi- political system. It started with a genuine heart conversion to Jesus Christ. What's going to save our nation? Individuals who have one-on-one genuine heart conversions to Jesus. And then later in his life, you say, John Newton, I feel like I've heard that name. Yeah, you have. Because later in his life, he penned these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a Insert the parentheses of his story, a former slave trader that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, that those words would rise up and be prophetic again, that those who still have prejudice and racism in their hearts, that scales would fall from your eyes in the name of Jesus, that the power of the Holy Spirit would melt your heart right now, and you would say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, and once that now came, the hatred that came across in your posts, the hatred that came across in your interaction now becomes grace. Now becomes grace. Can I encourage all of us to continue to walk out in grace? We live in a day. We live in a day where what you say, not can, it will be held against you. And we live in a day that what you thought you said will be held against you. And we live in a day where what you didn't say will be held against you. Can we all have grace for each other? Can we do our very best to judge someone not by our not by our interpretation, but by our believing that they had the best intentions. Write that phrase down. Just write down, I believe in somebody's good intentions. And if you believe in their intentions, then you can approach them differently. And that, that conversation looks something like this. Hey, you said this. I felt like it came across like this. But tell me what was your heart behind it. And I'm telling you, if we have more conversations like that, church, that's a practical way of how we can lead the conversation in grace. Can we have grace for somebody that posted something online that came across to you as angry or came across to you as divisive? Maybe you don't know their full story or where they came from. Can we have people, can we have grace for people that didn't post? and don't take their silence online as inactivity. One of my group leaders said to me yesterday, he said, you know, personally, I didn't feel like I was supposed to post, but I'm doing my best to walk this out with my coworkers and the people that I come in contact with every day. And I know him. I've known him for years. And I know that he is doing that with the different colors that he works with, all the colors. Let's give, let's live in and give lots of grace. Number three, let's depend on the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's depend on the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this in the beginning, but racial unity is the birthright of the Holy Spirit-empowered church. Wherever the Spirit comes, there is unity. We can't have a manifestation of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and not have a demonstration of unity. I, I, I just, the Holy Spirit, just brought this to my mind. I remember about 23, 24 years ago, I believe I was still an intern in the church, fresh out of college, was sitting in the cascade right over there. And I remember on a Sunday morning, I don't even remember the song that we were singing, but I remember this moment, two separate individuals, almost simultaneously prompted by the Holy Spirit, An African-American gentleman, I believe from over in this area, walked down to the altar and just started lifting his hands. And an older white gentleman walked down to the altar almost simultaneously and just lifted his hands. And I believe to this day that something shifted in the atmosphere. Not that this church was not working towards racial harmony and unity and reconciliation before that moment, but I'm telling you just something, I don't understand it all, but something shifted and, this, and today we are multiplied, way more racially diverse, way, way more uh, uh, diverse in so many areas and I believe that something shifted and I believe that it's continuing to shift, but I, can I tell you how it shifts? It shifts with Holy Spirit empowered moments at altars. That we walk out in our life, that we, that we have conversations in proximity tribes, that we, that we are intentional about saying, and writing down, who are, who are the 10 closest people in my life? And do they look like me? Do they sound like me? Or am I being intentional about engaging voices in my life that are different from me? not only not only is our heritage church i'm telling you this is strong this is strong don't sell your birthright church don't pentecostal church don't sell your birthright our birthright is to be the leading voice and the leading demonstration of Holy Spirit unity and power. Don't sell your birthright. Don't sell somebody needs to reclaim that inheritance right now and say, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to step in and I believe that the the Spirit of God would even now in our nation begin to raise up tongue-talking spirit-empowered Pentecostals that would lead the way in the the political realms and among our lawmakers and in our lawyers and in our judicial systems and in our businesses and among our artists and songwriters. Come on, rise up, spirit-empowered church, and step into your birthright in the name of Jesus. Not just in the book of Acts, but in the birth of what we know as the modern Pentecostal church, the Azusa Street Revival in a day in our nation when churches worshiped in segregation. Watch what God did. God used an African-American preacher by the name of William Seymour to be the leading voice in the Azusa Street Revival, which is where, which is where our tribe, the Assemblies of God and and other tribes, the Pentecostal holiness and the church of God in Christ and and so many others of these Pentecostal tribes come from. And, And you can see in this picture, you can see the early diversity and the testimonies. I've read the firsthand testimonies, not he said, that she said, that I heard. No, the firsthand testimonies of that day are lines like this, that the color line was washed away in the bloodline. And it was a testimony to the city of Los Angeles. It was a testimony to the nation. It was a testimony to the world that believers of different colors were worshiping together. Again, I know it's not the end all. I know we got some more work to do. But please don't ever discredit the testimony that when we begin to gather back together, don't discount the testimony of all the nations and all the races. Faces and all the colors worshiping together. It's a powerful testimony to an unbelieving world. And then the final thing is this, to move from criticism to solutions. My uh, One of my physical neighbors texted me yesterday, uh, two, two days ago, but I saw it yesterday. And it was a statement from, from Tony Dungy and, and I read through it and I just thought, boy, that's, that's so, so appropriate. And I, I, wanna, I wanna share that with us today. Uh, Coach, Dungy, Coach Dungy said this in response to the happenings of recent events. America's in a very sad place today. We've seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. And we've seen people protest this death by destroying property and dreams of people in their own community, the very people that they're protesting for. We've had many people pointing fingers of blame, painting the opposite side with a broad brush. We have anger and bitterness winning out over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning out over love and respect. What happened to George Floyd was inexcusable and should never happen. I would... Echo that. Justice needs to be served. But in seeking justice, we can't fall into the trap of prejudging every police officer, we see. What started out as peaceful protests have devolved into arson and looting, and that should never happen either. Yes, there should be protests, but we do not have license to perform criminal acts because we're angry. Today, we are a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, and socioeconomically. And Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. Well, what's the answer then? I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians. We have to become the forefront we have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of the one we claim to follow, Jesus Christ. We can't be silent. As Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, but we can't go forward with judgmental bitter spirits. We need to be proactive, but do it in a spirit of trying to help make things better. And it can't just be the African-American church. It has to be All of the churches taking a stand and saying we are going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and meaningful change. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love, but we have to recognize that we are not fighting against people. We're fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. In the words of the Apostle Paul, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And one of the things that I again wanna wanna even call the spirit-filled people of God to is let's be the people who rise up, not just with pointing out the problem, but let's rise up with solutions. Another book that I've started lately is Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uncle Tom's Cabin is credited With being more than anything else, the turning of the tide of our early nation against slavery. And this book, this book was not written by somebody with power, not with political power, not with religious power. She wasn't nationally known. She was a 50 year old school teacher that used art that used this the, the medium of art to tell a story. I believe this so, so powerfully that he who tells the best story wins or she who tells the best story wins. Church, we have the best story. And can I summon the spirit-empowered artists to rise up in the name of Jesus? Storytellers, write children's books. Somebody write a novel. Musician, sing a Song, songwriter, write, write a song, painter, paint something, but paint it in this way. Can I encourage you to do this? These are called the early church fathers, called these the transcendentals, and it was three things: goodness truth and beauty and can I ask that that be the filter for your art art speaks volumes use your music to speak words of goodness truth and beauty use that as a filter before you tweet before you post is this post does it go through the filter of goodness and truth and beauty but what if we had an army of spirit empowered artists that began to rise up filmmakers and tell stories of beauty tell stories Stories of reconciliation, tell stories of bright spots, tell stories of this is where churches are coming together, this is where schools are coming together, communities are coming together. And I believe that that is one way that we can step into this. A few years ago, um, I read a book to you guys called The, the, uh, the Day the Crayons Left. Uh, the Day the Crayons Left. And after After I read that, I didn't even know this one existed, but uh, Alex Gerard over in in Davidson, Pastor Alex got me as a gift. He got me the, the, the sequel to this and it's the day the crayons come home. I wanna read you part of it today. One day, Duncan and his crayons were happily coloring together when a strange stack of postcards arrived for him in the mail, dear Duncan, not sure if you remember me. My name is Maroon Crayon. You only colored with me once to draw a scab, but, but whatever. Anyway, you lost me two years ago in the couch and then your dad sat on me and broke me in half. I never would have survived had Paperclip not nursed me back to health. I'm finally better, so come get me. And can Paperclip come too? He's really holding me together. Sincerely, your marooned Crayon, Maroon Crayon, dear Duncan, no one likes peas. No one even likes the color pea green. So I'm changing my name and running away to see the world. Sincerely, Esteban the Magnificent, the crayon formerly known as pea green. Hey Duncan, it's me, neon red crayon. Remember that great vacation we had with your family? Hey, remember how we laughed when we drew the picture of your dad's sunburn? Remember dropping me by the hotel pool when you left? Well, clearly you do not because I'm still here. How could you miss me? Anyway, after eight months waiting for you to come back to get me, I guess I'm walking back. You're left behind friend, neon red crayon. Duncan, it's us, yellow and orange. We know we used to argue over which of us was the color of the sun, but guess what? Neither of us wants to be the color of the sun anymore. Not since we were left outside and the sun melted us together. You know the real color of the sun, hot. That's what, we're sorry for arguing. You can make green the sun for all we care, just bring us home. You're not so sunny friends, yellow and orange. Dear Mr. Duncan, I know I'm not your crayon. I know I belong to your baby brother, but I can't take him anymore. In the last week alone, he's bitten the top off my head, put me in the cat's nose, drawn on the wall and tried to color garbage with me. The worst part is he is a terrible artist. I can't tell what his drawings are. Donkeys, monkeys, donkey monkeys. Picasso said, every child is an artist but I don't know. I don't think he met your brother. Please rescue me. Your desperate friend, big chunky toddler crayon. Duncan was sad to learn of all the crayons that he'd lost, forgotten, broken or neglected over the years. So he ran around gathering them up. But Duncan's crayons were also damaged and differently shaped that they no longer fit in the box that they were originally in. So... So Duncan had an idea and he built a place where each crayon would always feel at home. Can I tell you that this is the picture of the church? For all the lost, all the hurting, all the broken, all the neglected, all the scarred. Church is where we build a place for all the colors and that includes you and that includes me. Jesus, would you fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you just take a moment to ask Jesus to baptize you fresh in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit? Come on, just say, Jesus, fill me up. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Fill my life. Fill my words. Fill my posts. Fill my art. Fill my conversations. Fill my home. Fill the airwaves. Fill us, Holy Spirit. And I ask, oh God, that the anointing that is upon Multiply Church the anointing that is upon CFA and the multiply family. I ask that that would now be multiplied in this season. And I pray and I ask Holy Spirit that this would be the picture of every multiplied church, that we would be a place for the lost and the hurting and the broken and the lonely and the confused. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're out there and you feel, maybe you feel passed over by Jesus or the church or by somebody or by your family. I know we prayed this prayer, but I want to pray it again. Jesus isn't overlooking you and we don't want to overlook you as a church. We want to get you plugged in. We got tribes for you. We got people that want to minister to you and pray with you. And so if you feel like you've been lost, like you've been left behind, would you just pray a prayer? Say, Jesus, I want to come back. Jesus, welcome me back into your arms and into your family. I want to come home. I want to belong. I want to be a part of the solution and the beautiful, multicolored picture of a spirit-empowered church. In Jesus' name, amen.